Good morning, at Erev Shabbos HaGadol. So, we begin with Hashem's help. New track day, the track date, Saita. And we're going to learn most of it during Pesach, and Shru- uh, starting in Pesach, till Shavuos. We'll make the Siyam and Mitzvah Shem. Shavuos, the um, Chabad custom is to learn. We don't learn Saita once in seven and a half years. We learn it every year. Because you have 49 pages. And then Svira, 49 days. And we usually, we start learning third day of Pesach, the first day of Chalamoyed, we start learning, we finish it the day before Shavuot. So we're going to get most of it in between Pesach and Shavuot. Let's begin. Someone who warns his wife, don't seclude yourself with so-and-so, don't be alone with so-and-so. He's suspicious. So he says, you're not allowed to be alone with, with this individual. Rabbi Lezadeh says, when does the Saita, when do we have all the laws and rules of a Saita? Only if he doesn't warn her privately alone in the house. There's two witnesses that he warns her in front of. And But then, if she does seclude herself with so-and-so, with this individual, for that you don't need witnesses. Even if there's one, one witness who tells the husband, I saw her secluding himself, she violated your warning. Or even if he himself sees her, you don't need any witnesses. Then he can. Then he's not allowed to live with her. All the laws of sight apply. So take her to the temple, and she drinks the water to clarify uh, her innocence or not. Even by himself, if he sees her secluding, then he can. He, uh, the laws of sight apply. Rabbi Yeshua argues, and the laws like Rabbi Yeshua. No, the laws of sight only apply. Of course, a woman is not allowed to seclude and be alone with any man. But it doesn't make her an adulterer. She's secluded alone and with any man. You don't, you don't even have to be suspicious that she's an adulterer. It's only if the husband warned her in front of two witnesses. Don't be alone with this individual. And then she went ahead and secluded herself in front of two witnesses. Then the laws of sight apply. Then we suspect her of being an adulterer. She's not allowed to live with her husband until we take her up to the Jewish Supreme Court and the, and the, the, the court of 71 sitting by the, in the temple. And uh, she drinks the water, and then miraculously the water will tell us whether she's innocent or not. If she's not innocent, she'll die. If she committed adultery and she's innocent, she'll, uh, she'll, she'll walk away even strengthened. Kate said, The mission continues. How does he warn her? If he tells her before two, before two witnesses, Don't speak to this person, I don't want you speaking to this person, I suspect that you have a love affair with him, I don't even want you to speak to him. And then she went ahead and speaks with him. It doesn't make her suspicious, uh, we're not suspicious of adultery, she's not a saita. So even if she high, even if she can seclude herself with him, he just warned her, don't speak to him, he never warned her, don't seclude yourself with him. So then she's allowed and she's allowed to continue if she's married to a Koyan, a wife of a Koyan, even, even if she's an Israelite, she's allowed to eat Truma. But if he warns, if he warns, don't seclude yourself. If she went and secluded herself, 
Right. He warned her, don't seclude yourself with so-and-so. Not he warned her, don't speak to so-and-so. He warned her, don't seclude yourself. And she, in front of two witnesses. And she went ahead and secluded herself with that individual in front of two witnesses. And how long was she there? If she was only there for a minute, it's nothing. No, if she was there enough time that she could have committed adultery. She could have had, she could have been intimate with him. And the Gemara will explain how much time that is. In that case, Asura Lebeza, she we become she becomes a suspicious adulteress, and therefore she's prohibited. She can't live with her husband. She can't be intimate with her husband. And she's not allowed if she's married to a Kayim, because if she committed adultery, then she's not. She's no longer allowed to eat truma. A zaina is not allowed to eat truma. A woman who willingly commits adultery is a zaina. And she's not allowed to eat truma. He may, and if she dies before she had a chance for the water to clarify her innocence or her guilt, and if the husband dies and he has there's a surviving brother, so usually the law is that if the husband dies childless, so the brother has to marry, must marry. It's a mitzvah for the brother to marry this woman. In this case, there's, there's no mitzvah. There's no mitzvah for the husband to marry. I should marry adulteress. Maybe she's an adulteress. Why should, but nevertheless, he has to do a chalitza. We don't know. Maybe she was an adulteress. Maybe she was an adulteress. And therefore, even if she was an adulteress, as the Gemara will say, let's say she was an adulteress. She's still married. Let's say we find out for sure she was an adulteress. Two witnesses come and say, not only we saw her secluding, we saw her commit adultery. And she would become definitely prohibited with her husband without the water. You don't need any ceremony. You know for sure she's an adulteress. Still, the husband has to divorce her. You're not just scot-free. He doesn't go scot-free. The marriage is still intact until he can't live with her, but he has to divorce her. So chalitza is like a divorce. The, the brother is like a continuation of the previous marriage. We tell the brother, you have to continue your brother's marriage. Your brother died childless. So you have to get so much so that you don't need, she doesn't even have to do a condition. She just, biblically, all she has to do is be intimate with her, and you're continuing the, the original marriage. So just like the original marriage, even, it's been, even if it was definitely established that she was an adulteress, you have to have a get. So too, you need a chalitza. To sever this connection, you need a chalitza. But to live with her, that for sure you can. Because the brother can't live with her, because maybe she's an adulteress. So surely the surviving brother can't live with her. It's not an option. Well, I, I love her. I want to take her in. I don't care what happened. <laughs> I'm sorry. You can. Whenever anybody does. Biblically, you don't need a condition. The rabbi said you should do a mimer. You should do a condition. It should be like any other marriage. But biblically, they're just intimate with each other and it's done. And the marriage continues. Because it's a continuation of the condition of the, of the brothers. Continuation of the marriage. The reason. Okay, that's the mission. Let's see. We just finished the tractate Nazar. My tonne, the katana seita. What's the connection between seita? There has to be a link. What's the link between seita and the previous, the previous uh, uh, tractates? Nazar. Uh, right, especially in the Torah, first comes seita and then comes nazar. In Parshas Nasa, he first comes to the site and then Nasa. So your mother says, Get it, Abby. The reason is, like it, Abby. Abby says, Abby is the one who made the order of the Mishnah. He authored the Mishnah. 
Why in the Torah do we find Nazir and Satan near each other? What's the connection? Learn a lot to teach you. Whoever sees a Satan in her in her in her degradation in her downfall, that the fact that she was a suspicious adulteress is already terrible. Even if she's innocent, the fact that she put herself in such a position to be shamed and humiliated so publicly in front of the whole entire Jewish people because her husband warned her, don't seclude yourself. And she went ahead and behaved in a suspicious way. So whoever does this, the lesson you should learn from it is, in other words, when you see a Jew degraded, it's not like today. Today, when someone does something terrible, everyone wags their finger and curses them out. Oh, what a horrible, terrible human being. You have to walk away something. You have to walk away with a lesson. What are you going to learn from this? If you don't walk away with something practical, I'm going to change my life because of this, then, then, then just to see the degradation of a fellow Jew, that's not a point. What's the point of... The mature thing to do is when you see someone have a downfall, you see someone do something terrible, a crime, everyone wag the finger at the Bernie Madoff. You feel righteous, you feel self-righteous, or you feel like a million. I would never do it with that bum, that low life did. If that's what you walk away from this whole story, never. Right, yeah, but you have to walk away with something to improve your life. It should be a warning that in my life I have to change. If you want the criminal to change, I have to change. What am I changing in my life? So what you should walk away with, Rebbe is saying you should walk away with a lesson you should change in your life. Stay away from wine. You have to be, look how careful you have to be. Because what led her, what led her to, to, to this degradation? Because she was partying, she was having fun, and, and therefore, therefore she didn't care that she acted uh, 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 suspiciously. So you have to walk away with a lesson, something to change in my life, to make my life better, to improve my life, which will help all those criminals, would-be criminals or future criminals, not to become criminals. If I'll improve my life, they'll improve their life. In other words, it's a challenge to me. Why is Hashem showing me this? Not just to wag my finger and to feel self-righteous, but Hashem is showing you, hey, something is wrong in your life. You better get your act together. Okay, flag the mother. If that's the case, if that's the whole reason, just like in the Torah, listen to Saita. First comes Saita. Another reason doesn't. That's what Rabbi says. Person who sees a Saita, this leads you to become a Nazar. So first say Saita, and then Nazar. Mother answers. I did it on the Ksuvis. First, we had the tract of Ksuvis, which makes sense. It belongs in Nashim. Ksuvis is called the mini Shas. It has a whole Shas in it. The Ksuvis is all about the marriage of the document. At the end of Ksuvis, we have the chapter, the chapter Amedes, which talks about an oath, a husband. <laughs> that talks about the husband who, who, who made it, his wife. He makes certain the daughter that affects the, that affects his wife. Yeah. So therefore afterwards he learns in the daughter. It's a continuation because most Nadarim also is between husband and wife. Yes. A father could also nullify his wife daughter, but that's only a very short time period until she's twelve and a half years old. Or until she's married. But the husband, most of her life is gonna be between her and her husband. And the husband is the one who nullifies her oath. It's a ton of the daughter. 
Since he learns Nazir is a vow like any other vow. It's a specific vow. I'm making a vow. I'm not going to drink wine, which encompasses already. I'm not allowed to take a haircut. And I'm not allowed to cut my hair. I'm not allowed to contaminate to the dead or eat anything. Anything that comes out of the vine, the grape. Therefore, now we bring Saita, like Rebbe says, because Saita and Nazir go hand in hand. That when you see, you experience a Saita, when society is out of control, when the sexual rage is out of control, when promiscuity is out of control, what's the answer? Nazir. In sex education, the public schools, they should teach the parish of Yosef HaTzadik. With Petifa's wife, that's what they should teach. When, when, it, when, it's, when it's out of control, promiscuity, you have to answer his nazir. You have to teach how to be extra careful and to make extra boundaries. Okay. Now, the Mishnah says, Makane means after the fact. Someone who warned his wife. The question is, what are the techniques? How do you warn and what's the right way to warn? So what do we see from the language? The He doesn't say mekane adam lishti. He should have said mekane means initially go ahead and deliberately and constantly go ahead and be mekane. It's the right thing to do. We're saying no, it's not the right thing to do. A husband should never warn his wife. It's a terrible thing, a terrible idea. But if you went ahead and warned your wife, these are the parameters, what's considered a warning, what makes it a warning, and what, what, when does it kick in, the laws of sight. You have to make sure, educate you, educate. Make sure they shouldn't even come to that. Make sure, why, why is your wife looking elsewhere for satisfaction? You're not fulfilling, you're not fulfilling her needs, you're not, paying, you're not giving her the love that she's looking for, she's craving. You know, or educate her about modesty in a beautiful way. The answer is not to come down on her like a ton of bricks, you know, to make her ugly and shave her, make her ugly and then keep her in a... The answer is educate her, elevate her, make her feel like a princess. A princess won't act, it's not trash. Who acts in a trashy way if you feel like trash? So there's many ways you can approach it. Teach her chassidus, so she won't even want to act in a negative way. So if you spend more time with your spouse, she won't, you, she won't have time to... Right, uh, yeah, also, also, exactly, exactly, true. So therefore, so this comes to teach us, it comes to teach us, our Tana holds, also lekanis, you're not allowed to warn your wife, it's a terrible idea, it's a terrible thing. This is not the solution, it's only after the fact, if you went in a war, and then, then the site kicks in. When Eshlokas would start teaching, the tractate Saita, the laws of Saita, Ammar Hachi would say the following. A person is given a wife according to his merits, according to his actions. It says, it says in Tehillim, that Hashem, Hashem will not until him chapters two for twenty for one hundred twenty-five. That Hashem will not allow a Russia to befall in the lot of a tzaddik. You know, you don't you marry your wife. You don't really know who your wife is. You don't really know who your spouse is. You date, you try, you do research, but no one really knows. And the truth is, people themselves may not know themselves until they're tested. 
what a person really is at. You know? But Hashem watches us. If a person is genuinely a tzaddik, Hashem will make sure that he shouldn't have, he shouldn't fall within him, he shouldn't have such a wife. It built on what you said earlier. If people have, if a person has a wife who's a saita, a person who has a wife who's committing adultery, maybe suspiciously, suspicion, we're suspicious of committing adultery, it's really his fault. In other words, he, he, there's something wrong with him. If he was a tzaddik, he would never have such a wife. The fact that he has such a wife, because you get what you deserve. Like when you vote, you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. So we got, we got what we deserve. It's difficult to match husband and wife like the splitting of the sea. Which is the most difficult miracle, the greatest miracle in history in the Torah is the miracle of the splitting of the sea. There's never been such a great miracle. So matching a husband and wife is as difficult. And today it's gotten even more difficult. Hashem places Yechidim. He takes individuals and he places them by He builds a house. He puts them to matches them together. He took out those who were trapped in Egypt in a, in a good time. He took them out in the springtime when the weather was pleasant, the weather was beautiful. He took them out into the desert. So he's comparing the two that it's as difficult to take individuals. And to bring them together as husband and wife, to create a unit, a family, it's as difficult as taking out the Jewish people back in Shadis and they had to cross the sea when they were finally free from the Egyptians and they were all dead, the former taskmasters were dead. It's as difficult. Why, why, like, why is it as difficult to split in the sea? But exactly, Nachshin, this was one miracle that we, the Jewish people, had to trigger the miracle. Pesach, Hashem took us out of Egypt. We did nothing. We were like little children. That's what the whole focus of the Seder is children. We did nothing. We weren't worthy. We didn't merit it. Hashem just lifted us up and yanked us out of Egypt. The, the miracle, seven days later, the miracle of splitting the sea didn't happen until we took action. Until, in other words, we grew up. We're not children anymore. We're adults. So the miracle, we were the miracle. The fact that we had the faith. We were active participants in the world. Marri- children don't get married. You love children to death unconditionally. But the children can give. Children can only take. They can receive unconditional love. They can't give. They're not in a position to give. Marriage, by definition, is to adults. You have to be an adult. So an adult means, Hashem, yes, it's bashert. But you have to do the ishtadlis. You have to take action. You have to do. If you don't do, nothing happens. So it's, it's like, a, so it's, even Hashem can help you. That's why it's difficult. Why is it difficult? Hashem can do anything. Why is it difficult? Because Hashem needs you. Unless you believe, unless you have trust, unless you go forward, unless you take the action, even Hashem, God Almighty Himself, can help you. You are the miracle. You trigger the miracle. You are an essential part of a whole miracle. That's a sign of adulthood. That's a sign of marriage. You're ready for marriage. You do something. A man has to do and establish and get how could you say that you have to merit a husband you, you merit your wife and it's as difficult as the splitting of the sea 40 days before the child is formed Pascal Yates says a heavenly voice goes out and says the daughter of so and so is for so and so. The reason why it says the daughter of so and so, not the, to the son of so and so, because usually the husband is older than the wife. 
in most cases. He's already born. She wasn't even formed yet. She wasn't even born yet. So we say the daughter of so-and-so. She's not even the daughter of so-and-so. She hasn't even been conceived yet. To the so-and-so who's already born. The field of so-and-so belongs to this person. And it also says the house of so-and-so belongs to this person. So the question is, why these... Everything in the life is bashert. Everything is divine providence. What does Rabbi Huda Merav mean? These three things are announced before you were even formed, before you were even born. It was already decided in heaven which house you're going to live in, which house you're going to own, which field you're going to work in, and who's the wife you're going to marry. Why? Or the husband you're going to marry. Why? Because it says a person who's not married is a half a person, is a half a man. What's a half a man? Take a person and slice him down the middle. What do you have? You have half? No, you have nothing. You slice a person in half, you have nothing. Without the wife, I'm nothing. Not I'm half. I'm nothing. It says, A person who doesn't own a home, a piece of real estate in Hashem's world, is not a person. It's an essential. It's not just a detail. You're missing something core and essential. Most of our adult life is engaged in Parnassa, the field you work in, the Parnassa. So before you're born, you can't even be born... I'm not a person, I'm not a man. Unless you have a wife, unless you have a house, unless you have, you, you, you know your career, you know your panasa, your field, you're going to work in the whole, your whole life. So these three things have to be decided before you're even born. Otherwise, I'm not even born yet, I'm, I'm nothing. Of course, everything in life is bashet and everything is divine providence. But here, it's much deeper than that. This is, this is part of your essential identity. Without that, you're nothing. So the question is, how could you say that you merit, it depends on your merit, the type of wife you marry depends on your merit. And it's as difficult to match, like splitting of the sea. It's already been decided before, you even, before you're even conscious, before you even a, 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 a thought in your parents' mind, before you even formed. It was already decided who you married. Marriage is a reunion, not creating anything new. So what, so what, what do you mean merit? What does it have to do with merit? This is my bashet. But the answer is like cash. It's not a question. It's not a contradiction. This is the first match. This is the second match. The simple meaning is the first match. That's mazel. That's the way it was decided already in heaven. Second match, a second marriage, that already depends on your marriage. That's why it says uh, divorce, uh, everyone cries in a divorce, Hina cries, but that's on the first match. Second match, it's not, it's not such a tragedy of divorce, but the first match, which is the Begrishna Vashani. Now, that's the simple reading of the Gemara, but it's very, very difficult because Paisvis asks and he asks a strong question, he remains with the question. It says, we learn in, in Mayat Katan, if you remember, that Shmuel says you're allowed to get engaged in Cholomoy, even though you're not allowed to mix one joy with another joy. But you're allowed to get engaged. It overrides. Why? Because, because someone else will grab your wife. Someone else is going to grab your wife. The question is, so you might ask, you might ask, how could you say someone else will grab your wife? It's already decided 40 days before. No one can grab my wife. But the answer is there because, because maybe he'll daven, maybe he'll, 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 he'll grab and then, you know, someone can daven and you can change your, you can change your destiny. question is, why doesn't the Gemara answer simply? Just like the Gemara answers over here. What's your question? Maybe the Gemara there, Chalamoyed, you're only allowed to, if, if it's your second marriage. Your second marriage, then you have to grab it because someone else will grab it. 
Versus your first marriage, maybe you're talking not a lot to get engaged because everything is already vashet. The mother doesn't even answer that. Why not? And he remains with a strong question. Tema, like a powerful question. Based on this, almost all the commentaries understood this gemara differently than the simple meaning. We're talking about also the first marriage. The Ziva Grishin, it doesn't say Habezug Grishin, Habezug Shenis. The Zuk Grishin, Zuk Shenis, we're talking about we're talking about the same marriage, the first marriage. What he's saying is that Izal says very interesting. Says, when Hashem created the world, everything was crystal clear. Everything, two souls that were meant to be with each other, found each other. Clear. It's like we all know the difference. There's a friend, Chaver in Hebrew, and a Yedid. Yedid is like a, a best friend. You can't explain it in words, but it's like a soulmate. You just connect with that person. It's more than just a regular friend. I have a lot of friends. But there's a Yedid that's like, it's like, it's like he understands, we understand. We just connect. It's like a hand in glove. We just connect with each other. We're just like, like soulmates. To marry, to find your soulmate, that's very special. Everyone has a soulmate. You know, Rabbi Yaakov Emden, one of the only G'dayli Yisrael, who wrote, who wrote an autobiography. Fascinating. He was brutally honest with everyone else. He was brutally honest about himself also. It's worth reading. He says, I did not marry my soulmate. He says, I met my soulmate, but I didn't end up marrying. I ended up marrying a woman, a beautiful woman, but it's not, not wasn't my soulmate. So in, when the world was clear and everything was clear and there was no obstruction, Hashem created for each and every one of us a Yedid, a soulmate. It's like, it's like, it's like we're, we're like one. But you know what? Now you have to have a merit. Today we're all reincarnations. We're not the original soul. When we came down first in the world, we're fresh. It's easy for us to find our soulmate. Now, when we came down, when we, when we re- reincarnated, and all of us are reincarnations, where are you going to find your soul? Be lucky. One, one in a thousand. Mashiach comes. Oh, what's gonna? That's a question. The the Mekubalim talk about what's gonna happen. Mashiach comes. It means everyone's gonna end up back with the soulmates. We'll find out. But the, let him come. We'll find out. So he says. Now it's up to merit. Now in our day and age, when all of us are reincarnations, we're not the first marriage. We're not the first time around. We're talking about the same person, but he's in a reincarnation like all of us. Now it's up to merit. So we're talking about the first marriage. That's what the mother and Cotton can answer first marriage, second marriage. We're all reincarnations today. We're talking about the same person. Now in the second time around, the second time in the around, now it's up to merit. You have to have a merit to find your soulmate. Not, not everyone has a merit. Hashem should watch you and protect you and make sure to find your soulmate that your mamish become like one with that person. Who, who merits that? You have to be, you have to be really tremendous chus to have such a chus and it's rare. When Rabbi Yaakov Emden says he, he didn't merit it. So that, that's very special. A beautiful taich. It's worth mentioning, Rabbi Chsam Sefer's son. Chsam Sefer writes a beautiful, beautiful taich. He says there's two aspects of marriage. He says there's one aspect of marriage that as a result of the marriage we have the children. We are all the products of our parents' marriage. Who gets to decide that? Only Hashem knows to match the ingredients, to get two people together, a husband and wife, a man and woman, come from different families, and to match the perfect match of DNA to produce these children. Only Hashem is the chemist who can decide to match the ingredients to produce you. 
So that has nothing to do with us. 40 days before you even formed, Hashem already decided these two people are going to meet to produce these children. Now, then there is the relationship between husband and wife. Oh, that's already up to you. How, what a mensch you are, how mature you are, how kind, how good, how genuine, selfless, giving, refined. Do you want to make be a happy marriage? Shalom bias between husband and wife. And even when the kids are out of the house, you're still... That's already up to you. That's what you create. That's in schus. That depends on your schus. How refined you are. You want, but the bringing together, that's between Hashem. That's why you see couples end up with divorce. But Hashem brought them together to produce these children. Because this is magical. Only Hashem could figure that out. It says in the Mishnah of that you need, he has the husband has to warn her in front of two witnesses. Only then is she considered the Saiter. The argument in Rabbelezer and Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbelezer says you only need two witnesses for the warning, not for the seclusion. But Rabbi Yeshua says you need two witnesses for both. But when it comes to the actual to testify whether she committed adultery or not, even one witness who testifies that I saw with my own eyes when they were secluded together that she committed adultery, we believe that one witness, even though the whole Torah... No, a witness, a witness, a witness, not the husband. No, you have to have an objective witness. You need one witness, even one witness. An objective witness, we need one witness. Even though in the Torah we don't believe one witness, in this case we believe one witness. We also learn the Mishnah. No, eight, eight echad, one witness. We're going to learn later on in the Mishnah, later on in the track thing. If one, after she was secluded, after she was warned by two witnesses, and she was secluded in front of two witnesses, and then one witness comes along and says, one witness comes along and says, I need it easy, I saw with my own eyes and mouth that they committed adultery. So then, so then we don't. She doesn't believe. She doesn't drink the water. She's she's a definite adulteress. No, you don't have to see. It's not. You have to see something that's. Uh, it's presumption. No, they're, they're together and they're acting like intimate. Yes, maybe it's a Hollywood film and they're pretending and they're they're making the noises and the moaning and the sounds, but. It's called a chazaka. The man and the woman are together and they sound like and they look like they're having a intimate together. Then you can rely on that. You don't have to actually see. <laughs> exactly, enough said. Right. Then she's not a saita, she's a definite, a definite adulteress. Well, no, you don't, you don't kill a person based on one witness. But you don't drink, there's no doubt anymore. And she's forbidden to her husband. And he has to divorce her. Even one, no. Oh, if there's two and they see her and they warned her, then, then, then she's liable for the death penalty, yes. But one is enough to define her as a definite adulteress. There's no point in drinking the water. We're not going to erase Hashem's name. There's no doubt. There's nothing to clarify. She's a definite adulteress. The husband has to leave her, and, and that's the end of the marriage. Again, it's only in the case where there was warning and there was seclusion after the warning. A regular adulteress, if a woman is with one person and one witness comes and says a woman is an adulterer, we, we throw him out, of course. We don't believe one witness. We don't even pay attention to it. 
It's only where here there was a warning. The husband warned her in front of two witnesses, don't seclude with Joe. And she went ahead and secluded with Joe in front of two witnesses. Then a witness comes along and says, while she was secluded in front of two witnesses, I saw that they actually committed the act. Then we believe one witness, not in general. A regular adultery, if one witness comes and says she committed adultery, we, don't, we never believe one witness. But in this case, we believe, we believe. Like it says in the Mishnah, after the warning and after the seclusion, and both, then this came, and that seclusion, I saw that they committed adultery. Then she doesn't drink. So the question is, we know from the Torah that we believe one witness. Since when do we believe one witness? We never believe one witness. Even when it comes to financial matters, we don't believe one witness. Suddenly here we, 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 we're believing one witness that she's a definite adulteress. Where do we know? that I Where do we know that we believe one witness? The Tanra the rabbis learn the Eid Eimba. It says by the woman of the site the Eid Eimba that there are no witnesses. So we interpret Bishnayim Akasu Medaber. The Torah is saying the Eid Eimba. You don't have two witnesses. Maybe the Torah says it means you don't even have one witness. Titus saying we don't have two witnesses, but we do have we do have one witness. The pasuk says Maybe it means it's not one witness. We have to have two because eight is singular in the pasuk. Right. So even though the eight, even though the eight is singular, even. But nevertheless, here the Pasuk means you don't have two witnesses. How do I know? Maybe Be'echad Eid is a singular. Maybe the Torah means that you don't have even one witness. Talmud Leimar, it says in the Pasuk, Le'yakum Bi'ish. It says in the Pasuk that you can't have one witness cannot testify against the person. For all sin, you need two or three witnesses to testify. So the question is, we continue on side B. Why does the pasuk have to say echad? He says eight in the singular. Any He should have said One aid, an aid cannot come and testify against the person that he sinned. Eid is, is in Hebrew, is in the singular. Why does the pasuk say eid echad, one witness? So This comes to teach us for the rest of the Torah. Because whenever the Torah says aid, it doesn't mean in the singular aid. It means a set of witnesses, two witnesses. And that's where the Torah has to spell out that aid but only one witness. Aid is two witnesses. Aid, two witnesses, could testify against the person. Aid echad, one witness, cannot testify against the person. Unless the title spells out, Aid echad, one witness. So what's the Pasuk saying here by the Saita? The merciful one, Hashem is saying in the title, Today, Lesba, she doesn't have two witnesses, she only has one witness. You don't, she doesn't have two witnesses that she committed adultery. She only has one witness that she committed adultery. And the Torah is telling us, and she wasn't raped, she wasn't forced. There was no force, she went ahead willingly. 
she committed adultery willingly. And we don't have two witnesses. We only have one witness that she committed adultery. And the Torah says, since she was not raped, and it wasn't by force, it was willingly asura. So now she becomes prohibited. So it's the Torah teaching us that one witness that testifies that she committed adultery is enough to prohibit her from a husband. She's no longer, it's not a, a, a suspicious adultery, it becomes a definite adultery. So your mother asks, So you're saying the only reason, because I need a pasuk to teach me, that one witness is enough to, def- to define her as a definite adultery. Without this, I would think, then if I, without this b'raisa, right? When the title says aid, the simple reading of the word aid, aid is in the singular in Hebrew. So it means one aid. So, so, how, so how would you interpret the passage? Meaning there's not even one witness that she committed adultery. And because it wasn't forced, it wasn't a rape, so she becomes prohibited. Why would she be prohibited? There's no witnesses she committed adultery. At best, you're suspicious. But how could you say that she's prohibited from her husband? Definitely prohibited. We definitely classify her as an adulterer. Why should, why should she become prohibited to her husband? So the mother says, it's the I do need this. I would, I would think, the way to interpret the verse, I would interpret the verse as follows. Eid, meaning aid in the singular, right? Hebrew, aid is in singular. Without this b'raisa, I would interpret the pasuk literally, and she doesn't even have one witness that she committed adultery. Eid emba, not that there are no witnesses. Eid emba. The Torah is saying that one witness is not believed. One witness is not believed to tell me that she committed adultery. If one witness testifies that she committed adultery, we don't believe that one witness. my boy. So what are you telling me? What's the pastor coming to teach me? That she only becomes prohibited. One witness is not believed to make her into an adulterer. I need two witnesses. So if that's the case, if that's what the pastor is coming to teach me, the pastor is coming to teach me, I need two witnesses before we declare her as a definite adulteress. If that's the case, why does the pastor have to tell me anything? The pastor should keep silent. Omit the whole sentence, What are you coming to teach me? That two witnesses are believed and not one. I would know that anyway. If when it comes to money, financial matters, even alone, we don't believe one witness. We only believe if a witness comes and says that you owe, you owe him a thousand dollars, we throw him out of court. So, right? We don't believe him. It doesn't obligate you to pay. So, how much more? So, we learn Dover. It says Dover. Apishnai made him Yakum Dover. And over here it also says Dover, the same words, Exeter Shava. So we learn, we know, any Yadroyas, you can't obligate anyone who commits any immoral sin. All the immoral relations. If a person comes and says, I saw him sleep with his mother in law, one witness? We don't leave one witness. You have to have two witnesses. Before he dies, before we, we, we give him the penalty that he deserves, you have to have, you have, to have two, two witnesses. Before we burn him to death, you have to have two witnesses. 
like anything else. So you don't believe any that the woman committed adultery unless we have two witnesses. Why do I need a pasuk? Why do I need a pasuk to teach me the eid einba? One witness is not believed. The eid ain nemanba, but only two witnesses. Then we believe that she's an adulteress. The pasuk should say nothing, and it's like anything else in the Torah. If financial matters, we don't believe one witness. We need two witnesses. How much more is when it comes to matters of life and death, adultery, which is life and death? Surely you need two witnesses. Why do I need a pasuk to, to tell me anything? So the mother answers, it's, I do need a puzzle. I would think Saita is shiny. I would think that a Saita is different. Saita is the exception of the rule. Every rule has an exception. Yes, in general, we need two witnesses. Given that rule. In general, we need two witnesses. But this case is different. I would think that you would believe one witness in this case. And after the Torah has to tell me, one witness is not believed. Why would I think that a Saita is different than any other case? In this case, we do believe one witness. Because Saita shiny, the Raglayim Ladavar, that was the last thing we learned in Nazir. Raglayim Ladavar, there's legs to stand on. There's proof that in this case, the one witness is telling the truth. Why? She was warned in front of two witnesses, don't hide with Joe. And she secluded herself in front of two witnesses with Joe. So I have reason to suspect. And then one witness comes along and said, while she was hiding, I saw them commit the act. She committed adultery. There's reason to believe that this one witness is telling the truth. So that's why I would think that this case is different. This case we do believe one witness. Even though the rest of the Torah we don't. That's why the Torah would have to tell me we don't believe one witness, only two witnesses. And that's why he said that So that's why. That's why the that's why the rabbis say whoever it says aid in the Torah, aid refers to a set of witnesses, two witnesses. And the Torah is telling me you don't have two witnesses. All you have is one witness. And we do believe one witness. Because she wasn't raped, she becomes an adulterer. Because she did it willingly. And why do we believe one witness? As the Gemara just said, because there's raglai and ladover. There's legs to stand on. There's reason to believe that this one witness is telling the truth. Because it's not, it, there's a context here. It's not coming out of nowhere. If one witness comes and says she committed adultery, we don't even pay attention. And not only that, we, we give the witness lashes. Because you're just, you're just, you're just ruining her name, you're ruining her reputation. You know that we're not going to believe one witness. So what, what are you coming to court just to speak Lashon Hara, just to tell lies about another person? Why would the court even allow his testimony in the first place? No, if he comes to court and he opens his mouth, we don't know what he's coming to testify, and then he opens his mouth and he says, I'm coming here to say that this woman committed adultery. We give him lashes. All you're coming is... To, to, to uh, cast aspersions, suspicions on an innocent person. You know that your words are not effective. How would you view it? How would you have interpreted by the literal meaning of the word ve'ed? Ve'ed means in the singular. And you said ve'ed aimba means aid aimba. We don't believe the Titus is coming to teach me. I would have learned that the Titus is saying we don't believe one witness. I would think we should believe one witness in this case because there's a context. But the Torah would come to teach me. Don't believe one witness. You have to have two witnesses. And therefore, we don't believe one witness, and the husband, she's allowed to live with the husband. You don't even have to drink any, any uh, sharia, she's allowed to live with the husband. 
But, but, but the chsiv, it says right afterwards, the Taita is saying that she wasn't raped, meaning the Taita is coming to explain, give us a reason why she's prohibited from her husband. So you're saying the aid, and you would have interpreted the Pasuk means the aid in the singular is not believed. And therefore, we don't believe that one witness, and she's allowed to live with her husband. But she's not an adulterer. And then the Taita says, but, and she wasn't raped, so therefore that's a reason she should be prohibited from her husband. Mm-hmm. If she was raped, even if there were witnesses, she was raped. So she's not held responsible, she's allowed to live with her husband. But because she wasn't raped, the Torah says, the Torah is finding a reason why she should be prohibited. So the Torah is coming to tell us that she is prohibited to her husband. Not like you're saying, one witness is not believed, and therefore she's allowed to live with her husband. So your mother says, no, I would have learned as following. I would have interpreted the Pasuk as following. I would think, one witness is not believed until you have two witnesses. Then, when you have two witnesses, you committed adultery because she wasn't raped. If she was raped, it doesn't matter, you have two witnesses. It was not an adultery, she was raped, she was forced. It was a gun to her head. No, 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 but how do you know who's it was a gunter head. No, we saw. We're talking about witnesses who saw. Oh, there was a gunter Right. So, so they, so they, they then, uh, but because it was done willingly in the case of two witnesses, then she becomes prohibited to her husband. Even when you have two witnesses, it's only if she wasn't raped, then she becomes prohibited. So, that's where the Braisa comes to teach us. does not mean one witness, even though sounds like in the singular. But we learn from the other Pasuk. It says, Ve'eid Echad. That the Torah has to specify one witness, Echad. Because if you don't specify Echad, Eid means a set of witnesses, two witnesses. And what the Torah is telling us, she does not have two witnesses. She only has one witness that she committed. On top of the two witnesses that she was warned in front of the two. On top of the two witnesses that she secluded herself in front of the two. On top of that, there was one witness that saw her commit adultery. The Torah says, since she wasn't raped, it was willing, deliberate, and conscious, and willing, therefore she becomes prohibited to her husband. When does he drink the waters of the Saita? They don't. Only in the case where there was no witnesses. There wasn't a single witness. We don't know what happened in that room. We know that she was secluded. She was warned not to seclude in front of two witnesses. She went ahead and secluded herself in front of two witnesses. We don't know what happened. Yeah, in the ample time. We don't know what happened. Then she's a Saita, and then she has to drink the water of the Saita. You need two set of witnesses, both for the warning and for the seclusion. My time, the Rabbi Yeshua. What's the reason, Rabbi Yeshua? Um, Amakrot says in the pasuk, "Vikine ba." Says, "Benister benitma veed aim ba." There's no witnesses ba ba v'loy bekine ba v'loy bestira. You don't have one witness. I'm sorry, you don't have two witnesses for the for the actual act of intimacy. We don't know what happened in that room. So you don't have two witnesses. But in the case of the seclusion, in the case of the warning, for that you do need two witnesses. There were two witnesses. Only the act of the, of the intimacy, whether she committed adultery or not, actually committed adultery, that we don't have two witnesses. There's only one witness. Ba means it. But in the other case, in anything that comes before that, which is the warning, the husband warning his wife, don't seclude yourself with so-and-so. And she going ahead and secluding herself. In those cases, we do need two witnesses. There were two witnesses. Meaning for the if she was intimate. What would Abelazar say? Only one. Ba, yes, ba comes to exclude only in this case. 
is you don't have two witnesses, you have one witness. Not in the previous case, but he says it only comes to exclude one case. The warning. That the warning has to be done in front of two witnesses, but not the seclusion. Let's above the name above the how do you know? It's coming to exclude one one of the prior. There were two things that happened previously before this one witness comes along and that's why she committed adultery. There was a warning. The husband warned the wife. And then there was a seclusion. How do I know? And you're saying but only excludes one. How do I know it's excluding the, uh, the, the warning, that the warning has to be in front of two witnesses? Maybe it's coming to exclude the seclusion, that the seclusion has to be in front of two witnesses. Because the Torah says, juxtaposes stira to tumma, to the actual committing adultery, the actual act. She secluded, and she became impure, in other words, she committed adultery. So just like the case of impurity, the case, the actual adultery, the Torah says one witness is enough, so to the seclusion, one witness is enough. So when the Torah is excluding and saying, bah, then something prior to this, you need two witnesses, he must be referring to the warning. The warning has to be in front of two witnesses. If that's the case, the Torah also juxtaposes and equates the warning also to the Tumah. He warned his wife and she committed adultery. So just like the Tumah, one witness is enough, so to the warning should also be enough in front of one witness. The mother says, even though you may ask, according to Rabbi Yeshua, in the case of Tumah, you need one witness. In the case of, of, uh, of seclusion, he says, even if the husband saw a seclusion, you don't need any witness. It's not you need one. And we believe one because of the context, because of the whole circumstance. In the case of, of seclusion, Rabbi Shur says you don't need any witness. So it's not, it's not equating, it's not a real equation. You want to say that, just like Tumma, Tumma, you don't need one, two witnesses, even one witness is enough. So too... And but uh, but uh, so too in the case of we equate the seclusion to tumma. Well, now the Gemara is asking we should equate the warning to tumma, that you shouldn't need two witnesses. If you don't need two witnesses, you don't need any witnesses. Anyway, so it's not a real equation. But anyway, okay. So the Gemara says, so why don't you? So we also find the equation to from warn, warning warning the wife to tumma. On one hand, we equate the two. So you want to learn from uh, Tumma that one witness is enough. On the other hand, the Torah says, Ba, Ba comes to exclude. Only in this case, in the case of the actual adultery, you need two witnesses. Uh, e- e- even one witness is enough. But in, in the previous, what comes before that, you need two witnesses. Okay, so the mother says, Madrayas. So, okay, so I have, I have two things that happened before the adultery. Ba comes to exclude only one. So they're both equal in my eyes. On one hand, I have one Pasuk that equates the seclusion to the adultery. I have another passage that equates the warning to the adultery, which teaches me you don't need two witnesses. Another then it says, but, which comes to teach me you do need two witnesses. So why do I choose? Why did Abelazar choose to say that the passage is telling me that you need two witnesses for the warning and you don't need two witnesses for the seclusion? So the mother says it's, it's logical. It makes sense. The Torah leaves it to our understanding and it makes sense. Stira adif. She came as the the seclusion. Seclusion. 
So he says, right, it makes more sense. Stira, if stira is closer to, to the adultery. She can assert the ketumah, just like if a woman commits adultery, she's prohibited from her husband, secluding herself, putting herself in a position where we're suspicious of adultery. Also, she becomes prohibited to her husband until she drinks the water of the saita. So therefore, it makes more sense to equate the two. That just like the Torah says, that for adultery, one witness, you don't need two witnesses. So the Torah is telling us that for the seclusion, I don't need two witnesses. But versus, versus the warning, when the Torah is coming to exclude that, the warn, that the, you do need two witnesses, referring to the warning. The warning, the husband warning his wife not to seclude herself with so-and-so, it has to be done in front of two witnesses. In fact, if you're going by logic, on the contrary, the warning is, is better. Why? Superior. Without a warning, she just secluded herself, it means nothing. What makes the seclusion suspicious? Only after she was warned. Because he warned her specifically, don't seclude yourself with so-and-so. If there was no warning, remember the Mishnah says, even if he warns her, don't speak to so-and-so, it means nothing. It's only because she was warned, don't seclude yourself with so-and-so, because he's suspicious of her. Then she goes ahead and secludes herself. That's what, that's what, so what triggers the whole thing? It's the warning. Mm-hmm. So maybe the warning should be equated to the adultery. Just like adultery, one witness is enough. The warning also, one witness should be enough. And when the Torah says, ba, coming to exclude, that something prior, you need two witnesses, he's referring to the seclusion. What's a warning? Without seclusion, the warning is nothing. <laughs> it's the seclusion that, that, that causes the suspicion. But without the warning, secluding yourself, if, no one, if the husband doesn't warn the wife, and she goes ahead and secludes with so-and-so, yes, she violates the prohibition of Yichud, but it doesn't make her an adultery, not even a suspicious adultery. Every Jew is a, is a, has a chazaka of being innocent. What's the penalty for us? There's no penalty. We love, we love kinestidami, man. What does it help? So your mother says, I feel like, nevertheless, stira adif. Stira is closer. The seclusion is closer to the adultery. Why? Because it's the beginning of Tumma. First, she secludes herself. She does, she violates a prohibition in general. Yichud, she's, she's secluding herself. A married woman secluding herself with a stranger. And that leads to adultery. This is the beginning of adultery. So that's why it makes sense that Taylor equates to two. They're just like over there, you don't need one witnesses, you don't need two witnesses. So also for the seclusion, you don't need two witnesses. When the Taylor says, but coming to exclude something prior that you do need two witnesses, referring to the warning. Okay. Dr. Yimbaud, Mishnah does not follow the Tanya. If someone warns, when he warns his wife, he says, he says, the name of is the exact opposite. The warning could be done in front of one witness. You don't need any, you don't need two witnesses. You don't even need any witnesses. He just warns her at home. Don't seclude yourself with so-and-so. But the actual, but in order to, to give her the waters of the Saita, she has to seclude herself in front of two. So the rabbis responded to the opinion of Rabbi Yisab Rabbi Yehuda. The way he heard from Rabbi Lezer, in then there's, no, then there's no end to it. Because she won't know to exclude herself. She'll say, my husband never warned me. He'll say, I warned her. So every time she, he, she, he sees the husband's in a bad mood, he sees his wife go into a store to buy a dress, and she's alone with the shopkeeper, he'll tell us, oh, I warned her not to be with her, and that's it. After have to drag her to Yerushalayim, insult her, humiliate her. 
how could she protect herself? If there's two witnesses, or she wore, if she was warned in front of two witnesses, it's public knowledge. So she'll be careful not to ever seclude herself with so and so. But if you tell me she can, he can warn her without warning, uh, there alone at home. She'll say, "I was asleep. I didn't hear him. I never happened. I didn't even know to, to protect myself." Okay. It was a different Joe. I thought. What's the reasoning? What I said. Where does he learn in the pasuk? I'm a only in the case of stira, one witness is enough. But previously, the, th- the prior things you need two witnesses. So he says, Bavle bestira. The case of the seclusion, there you have to have two witnesses. Why don't you say like our version of Rabbi Lezer, that Bob comes to exclude that the warning has to be done in front of two? the to equates to the adultery. We also find the Torah equates the the the. Um, the uh, the seclusion to 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 the to adultery. That's even this to be not mad. Like Marahu, that pasuk comes to teach us. Like Kamer Shir Stirik, they told mad also. The pasuk is teaching us how long does she have to be secluded? Only if she's secluded long enough for them to have potentially committed adultery. Now, Bryce says, Yeshiva Chamal Dib Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yehud, Enlid of a safe. Mind you, well, why Enlid of a safe? What do you mean there's no end to it? Zimnan Lekonim. Maybe he never warned her. Vamma Kanoi. Kanoi. And then she'll seclude herself with so and so. She doesn't know, to be careful. And then he'll accuse her that he warned her. It never happened. According to our Mishnah, according to Rabbelez, our version of Rabbelez, that you have to warn in front of two witnesses, but she doesn't have to seclude in front of two witnesses. Also, Zimlin sometimes, he can lie. She never secluded herself, and he'll come to the court, drag her in front of the court, says she, she was alone with so and so. He doesn't need any witnesses based on his word. She says, What are you talking about? It never happened. So, again, also you have the same problem. According to Rabbi Shua, you don't have any problem. You need two witnesses for everything. You're right. He means What are you saying? Even according to Rabbi Yisrael, Rabbi Huda, how much and our mission also. Our mission, it's less likely. Because here at least you had two witnesses who we warned before. So at least you have, there's a context. He's not stam. There's two witnesses that he warned her, don't go with so and so. So, but here, in the case of the other version of Rabbi Lezer, it's much worse. Because here, he wasn't warned, she was never warned to seclude herself to anyone. To anyone she secludes herself, the husband could jump in it and say, I warned you not to seclude herself. Here, at least, he's, she's warning him not to seclude herself with one individual. So, therefore, it's much less likely that she's he's not, not going to say she was alone with that one individual. Here, there's much more likelihood of him to play hanky pat to lie about her. Because anyone she secludes herself with, he can come and claim, I, I warned her not to seclude with so-and-so. If this is one you learn, not only in his case, it's an impossible situation. Even going to our Mishnah, also you can argue it's also an impossible situation. Because at the end of the day, he can lie and say that she secluded herself with the one I warned her not to seclude. Today, a person is not able to tell his wife, you're not allowed to warn your wife, don't be, don't seclude yourself with so-and-so. I'm suspicious. I don't want him to, I don't want you to hang out with him. Maybe the law follows that a husband could warn without witnesses. And she'll end up being secluded. 
in front of two witnesses. And she would become prohibited. Today we don't have the waters of Saita to clarify your innocence or guilt. Because therefore it'll become prohibited forever. So even though the law does not follow Rabbi Yisab Rabbi Huda's version of Rabbi Lezer. In general, the law doesn't follow Rabbi Lezer. We follow Rabbi Yeshua. Nevertheless, According to, according to that one opinion, the husband would never be allowed to live with the husband. Uh, the husband would not be allowed to live with his wife. Okay, tomorrow we'll continue. The Gemara says, what's kinoi? What's the expression of kinoi? Good Shabbos, everyone. Shabbos HaGadol. We continue.